Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again to join together in worship of our triune God. We extend a warm welcome to all who are present here and to all those who have joined us via the live stream this afternoon. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Consistory has no announcements. This afternoon, we welcome Reverend David Paul, one of our missionaries based in PNG, to lead us in worship. Before we commence the worship service, let us sing together Psalm 85 verse 2. and sisters, it's good to be gathered with you one last time yet before we leave again for the mission field, my family and I, and we give thanks to the Lord for the time that we could spend with you and all of the brothers and sisters across Western Australia. It's a special privilege to be able to bring God's word this morning. Let us now rise and lift up our hearts to the Lord. This afternoon, as we rise, we do lift up our hearts and together confess that our help is in the name of the Lord. Receive his greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's now sing together from Psalm 100, the verses 1 to 4, expressing our thankfulness in entering the gates of our God with praise.
Let's together now at the Church of All Times and Places confess our holy, Catholic, and undoubted Christian faith with the words put to music as we find them in hymn one. afternoon, we think of how you look after your church, your church of all times and places. You've gathered, you've defended, and you preserved for yourself by your spirit and word a church chosen to everlasting life. You have appointed your son to rule over it. And with his majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never far from us. We thank you for your grace to us in this, Father. That with one heart and one mouth, we can confess our triune God. That we can join with our brothers and sisters in Papua New Guinea, in Canada, in Africa, in South America, in Mexico, all around the world, Lord, wherever you have appointed your church, wherever you have gathered your people, where your spirit is at work, where your word goes out. We thank you so much for this grace, for this love that you have showed to us in letting us be a small part of such a great and wonderful thing. And Father, we pray that you would continue to walk with us and bless us. Be with our brothers and sisters. Keep them in your care and help them to remain faithful by the power of your Spirit. Keep them faithful. We also pray that you would be with our churches here on the home front. Keep us faithful too, Father. Help us to love your word and to love your people and most of all to love you, our sovereign God. We come before you this afternoon and we open your word now and we pray that you would richly bless it. Let your name be glorified in what is proclaimed, Father. We pray that you would give us attentive ears, attentive hearts, and that we would be able to go on our way into this week rejoicing in your goodness and your grace towards us. 
Father, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. The scripture reading for this afternoon is taken from the Gospel of Luke. It's taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. We'll be reading together the verses 40 to 56. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. There came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling down at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus replied, Someone touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So far, the word of God. Let's now respond to the reading of God's word from Psalm 38 where we acknowledge that, Lord, to you my mournful crying and my sighing are not hidden or unknown. The Lord sees us even in our sorrow. Psalm 38, the verses 1, 2, and 4.
the text for this afternoon comes from the same passage. We'll read it again to have it fresh in our minds. Luke chapter 8, verses 43 to 48. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So far, the word of God. Brothers and sisters, in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you can imagine that the disciples at this point in time would have been feeling like they're riding a high. Jesus has just finished preaching the Sermon on the Plain, the equivalent of the Sermon on the Mount. It's likely that Jesus himself had a preaching tour and was reusing some of uh, his, his sermons. We find the Sermon on the Mount in uh, Matthew, in the book of Matthew. And then the Sermon on the Plain is described in the book of Luke, and there's a lot of overlap. So they would have been part of this journey of Jesus as he's traveling around and as he's preaching. And then they took some time away with him where they sailed across the sea and went to the Gerasenes. And there, before their very eyes, a madman, a man who was full of demons, was healed. And now they come back and they see a tremendous crowd awaiting Jesus, excited to see this teacher, excited to see this rabbi, what he will do next, what words he will bring. And then in the midst of this crowd, they see something that stirs up their excitement even more. There is a man there's a man named Jairus, a big man in that society, who pushes his way to the fore, coming to see Jesus. He humbles himself before the Lord Jesus Christ. And with a sense of urgency, he comes to him asking for help. And this would have been quite something. Because you see, Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue. And he would have known he would have known about the disapproval that the other rulers of the synagogues had when they were looking at Jesus. Recently, Jesus had had a discussion on healing on the Sabbath in the synagogues, and we read in Luke chapter 6 that they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. But in the midst of that, there's an overriding pressure that comes behind it because along with this news that he would have heard would have been the conflicting news, the news that pushed back on what he saw, that, on, on what he heard from the other synagogue rulers, the healing of a centurion's servant from a distance, the raising of a widow's son. He didn't believe that one in its fullness because later on, he almost despairs when the man comes back and says, your child has died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. But this knowledge would have conflicted with the news that he had heard and you, would have, you feel the urgency that's coming through in his desperation as he comes to Jesus Christ. The disciples themselves would have been very excited about this as well. And in the midst of this, as you, as you see this narrative unfolding, as you see it building momentum, suddenly everything screeches to a halt. And we get a very interesting narrative 
that comes up in the midst of the story of Jairus. Jairus is frantic with worry. His daughter is near to death. He sees Jesus as his last hope. And suddenly everything grinds to a halt. The crowd is crowding in on Jesus. They are pressing in. The word that's used here is a picture of of, uh, plants that are pressed in by weeds. Elsewhere in scripture you find this where they're pressed in by weeds and it's choking out the light. It's choking out the food. It's almost crushing. But something happens. And there is a woman, also desperate, who comes onto the scene. Is she there to slow Jesus down? There is a certain element of that. Jesus sees, the Lord Jesus Christ sees what lies ahead. He sees what needs to happen and how his glory will be shown. But at the same time, he also sees a woman who is in need of his compassion. We can see that in revealing what is hidden with this woman, our Lord Jesus Christ shows mercy and restores. This is our theme for today. In revealing what's hidden, Christ shows mercy and restores. And first of all, in our passage, we'll see uncleanness. Secondly, we'll see mercy. And last of all, peace. We read in our passage that the woman who brings everything to a screeching halt was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. This was a woman who had been suffering under the weight of an uncleanness. You see, in the book of Leviticus, there are laws about cleanness and uncleanness. And this woman's condition fell under that. There are the regular laws in Leviticus chapter 15, which speaks about when a woman has a discharge and the discharge in her body is blood. She shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days and whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. And it goes on, speaking about whatever clothes she touches will be unclean. They'll need to be washed, anything she sits on, anything she lies on. Now, from our perspective, when we're looking at this with a 21st century lens, it might seem a little strange to us. It might seem a little backwards to us, almost. But consider what the Lord is doing here when he teaches his people to do this. During this time, he is getting people to slow down. In our society today, we have this habit of pushing through things. We have this habit of needing to get things done. And our Lord is once a month for the woman in the community of Israel, getting them to slow down and to think about holiness, to think about purity, to reflect on their God, to think about holiness and speech, Holiness in action. But think about how isolating it would have been for this woman. Because the laws in Leviticus continue. They say that if a woman continues with this bleeding and it goes on and on and on, then she is to continue to remain unclean. Think of how isolating this would have been for her. Anything she touches is unclean. She had no business, according to Jewish law, being in the midst of that crowd. She especially had no business, according to Jewish law, coming up and touching this teacher, this holy man, this rabbi. If he was a Pharisee, there would have been serious consequences to this. And yet she is in the midst of this crowd as they're all pressing in, hoping that she can slide in and maybe, maybe get something of what Jesus Christ has to offer. She had something that was relatively hidden 
something that weighed down on her. In the midst of this crowd, something that was a secret shame. And in a way, that makes it an appropriate picture of sin, doesn't it? You see, the laws of clean and unclean weren't meant to state that you are a sinner as such. We all are sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. But the laws of clean and unclean in Israel were to remind them of the impact of sin on the life of the people of God. How sin cuts you off from people who are around you and how sin cuts you off from your relationship with God. It was meant to be a picture. People who were like this were meant to be a walking picture along with the myriads of other laws about cleanness and uncleanness in society. They were meant to be a walking, living picture of the effect that sin has. And in this case, a sin that is perhaps a secret shame. A sin that can be relatively hidden from the rest of the world. This is a picture of something that stands up against God's holy name. We see this coming back in the prophecy of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 17. When the people are in exile... The Lord God commands Ezekiel to speak to them. Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. Everything that they touched, everything that they handled, everything that they spoke about was corrupted, it was made unclean by their behavior before the time of exile. It was breaking down their relationships with one another. They were taking advantage of each other. It was breaking down their relationship with God. They were turning their back on God. And this was meant as a picture of their actions. Everything that they touched was being corrupted. It's isolating. Now for them, they were in good times. They were settled. And things were going well. And in the midst of this, God says through Ezekiel, God has removed you. Because your ways were like uncleanness when all was well. And so he removed the people of Israel from their land in order to get them to take a step back and to recalculate, to think about what they were doing, to think seriously about it. And this is something that hits home for us too, doesn't it? Because there can be times when life seems to be going well. There can be times for us when things are just puttering along and we don't really think twice about things in life. We don't examine our own lives deeply. We're just happy with the status quo. And we don't see things start to go awry here or there in our lives. We don't see underlying attitudes that maybe quietly are starting to shape and form in our lives. And then something comes up an upheaval, a disturbance. And it makes us step back and it makes us take stock again. We see sin rearing its head in our lives and we see its isolating power. We see how it divides. We see how it can twist words. And we see how it can bring up barriers between us and God. And so God shakes things up for us. He sometimes turns our lives upside down. Because when times were settled and things were going well, we didn't take the time to reflect on this. And so He opens up something new for us. And He shows us our uncleanness. The uncleanness that's in our hearts.
But he does this with a purpose. You see, it's a kindness of our God. It's in his mercy and in his grace that he does this, that he reveals these things in our lives. God turns our life on its head in order to bring us back to him. In the case of Israel, during their time of exile, Israel had profaned God's holy name, and yet in mercy, in Ezekiel 36, it said God would restore them. There would be restoration from exile. And now, Jesus was speaking to a people who had gone astray, a people who had wandered, and he was going to use this woman as a living picture of the restoration, the power of restoration. But what he was going to do first was take what was hidden and bring it to light. This is something for us to think about too. Because we have been through a recent time of upheaval, haven't we? With the call of a pastor to a new congregation. And now sitting down and reflecting on who to call with the discussions that have been going on with the upcoming church split as well. How are they going? What kind of things are coming out during this time? What kind of things are we seeing coming out in our own hearts during this time? In our own discussions during this time? Are they full of grace? Is there uncleanness coming to the fore? How are we speaking? How are we interacting with each other? Our Lord Jesus Christ brings us times of uncertainty and times of upheaval in order to reveal things in our hearts and in our lives out of His mercy. And this is the second thing that we see coming up in our passage today, loved ones. The mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see in Luke chapter 8 verses 45 to 47. In the midst of this, this woman is, is carrying all of this and she herself too is... is Frantic, she herself too is desperate, and she comes up to Jesus and she touches him, and it says immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And then Jesus says, Who was it that touched me? You can imagine how alarming it would have been for this woman. What a terrifying question. You think that you can blend in with the crowd, you know what you're doing is not right. You know that when you're in the midst of the crowd, everybody who touches you will be unclean and you're trying to slip in to touch him, to be healed if you possibly can, and then to get out without anybody noticing. And then suddenly, the moment that happens, he turns around and says, who touched me? And there's an almost amusing interchange that happens after this. It's, it's, it's quite something. Who touched me? And he looks around. And suddenly everybody steps back, puts up their hands, then they all deny it. It wasn't us. There's a bit of a funny picture there, isn't it? Because the crowd, it says, was pressing in on him and it was all to the point of, of choking him out with the, the, the press that was happening there. And then suddenly there's a space around him. It wasn't us. And Peter, he can hardly fathom what the Lord is saying. He says, Lord, Master, the crowds surround you and they're pressing in on you. Everybody's touching you. Let Jesus respond and he says, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Now what's the Lord doing here? It's not like he doesn't know. The Lord knows what's in the hearts of man. We've seen this throughout the Gospel of Luke. He knows what happened. What's he doing here? He is speaking to this woman. He is calling her out. And he is giving her the opportunity to stand up and to present herself. What mercy is he showing in this? Wouldn't it have been more merciful to just let her go? Slip away? Enjoy the healing that she now has? Be able to present herself later to the temple? 
But no. He calls her out. And contrary to what she believes, it's not for shaming. He calls her out and he shows mercy to her. You see, she was treating him in an almost superstitious way. When she saw the Lord, she was walking by. She thought, maybe if I grab the hem of his garment, I'll be able to get a little bit, a little something of what he has. As if he's carrying this magic power. As if he's a fount of something that she can tap into by reaching out and touching her hand. And then slip away. That she can hold on to something there. But Jesus is calling out this response. It's not the outward trappings that he's looking for. Just as it is for us today, it's not the ritual, the rituals of church, the outward trappings that we find here today that he calls us to look to. No, the Lord Jesus Christ is calling for a personal turning of the one who has been healed to him. He's giving her the opportunity to respond in faith, in gratitude, in faith, in trust, trusting His mercy, trusting His compassion. A faith that's attributed, as one commentator says, to the conviction that God's help is to be found with Jesus and in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ is the substance of things hoped for. For her, he was giving her the opportunity to look to Jesus Christ and him alone, rather than as something that she could hold on to, and maybe in participating in the rituals that she would be able to find healing. He also reveals for the people who are watching in his mercy towards them, what a saving faith looks like. And he begins with the word daughter. Look at the compassion that he shows to her. Here is this woman who has been pushed to a point where she now has to step out in faith, in faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, and respond to him because he has called her out. To show to the world what she has done. To show to the world who she is. She explains to the world, trusting in the mercy of Jesus Christ, why she came to Christ. And his response, daughter, puts all of her fears to rest. He's responding in compassion. And more than that, he confirms for her, your faith has healed you, in verse 48. Now, there's an interesting thing that we see with the word healed here. See, it's not the first time that Jesus Christ uses this word. But it's used in a different way if you look in the English translation elsewhere. You see, healed can also mean saved. Salvation. Normally there's not a connection here because being healed is also a secular word. This word that's used, you can find it in other Greek documents when they're dealing, when they're dealing with things in medicine. They'll use this same word for somebody's physical body to be brought to full health again. But the Lord Jesus Christ blends the two. How do we know this? It's not the first time that he's used this. It's a deliberate theme that he brings out again and again and again throughout the Gospel of Luke. Luke 7, verses 48 to 50. Right before, the chapter before, we find this response of Jesus Christ. To a woman who has come to him, a sinful woman, a woman who breaks down and is weeping and is washing his feet. He says to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to this woman, and here we find the exact same phrase that we find in our passage today, Your faith has saved you. 
healed you. Go in peace. You see, it's not enough just to have the outward trappings. It's not enough just to go through the outward motions. Think later on when Jesus heals the ten lepers. Nine of them go on their way rejoicing that they are healed and only one comes back to Jesus Christ. And he says, where are the other nine? Only the Samaritan came back. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. There is a connection that comes here for the person who stands up in faith, who responds, this woman who has responded in faith, that her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the faith in the one who has the power to forgive sins, as we, saw in the, as we see in the previous chapter. The one who is compassionate, merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Your faith has saved you. Now this isn't to say that it was anything within the quality of her own faith. That was because her faith had strength, because her faith had power, because she brought something to the table. We didn't see that in the previous passage when he said, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. People acknowledge who but God has the power to forgive sins. It's a free gift. But through this channel of faith, through faith, she's able to receive the gift of the one who came. Her faith was not the direct cause. Jesus Christ came first, and he found her. Jesus Christ was the one who showed power to the nation, whereby she knew that she would be able to find healing. He drew her by his presence in the crowd, and he healed her by his power and will. Christ was the direct cause. And so as we find ourselves in a situation in which we are, we, we are looking at our own sin, we are looking at things that are perhaps hidden within us, even in times of turmoil where we see things coming out that should not be there, and we go to Lord, Lord, my faith, to the Lord, Lord, my faith is so weak. Look at what's come to the fore. Look at this uncleanness that I've found in my life. How can I come to you? I'm so weak. My faith is weak. But my Savior is strong. I'm timid and afraid. But my Savior is bold. I'm ashamed. But my Savior clears shame. I'm an outsider. But my Savior calls me a daughter, a son, family. And He sends us on our way in peace. Go in peace, he says to this woman. This is the third thing that we see in our passage. He sends her on her way in peace. This is a common thing to say if you're saying goodbye to somebody as a Hebrew. You say, shalom. Go in peace. Shalom. It's a Hebrew word, shalom. But Luke takes the opportunity to highlight this. You see, Luke could have included all of the goodbyes in the Bible, but he didn't. He chose to highlight this in particular, this go in peace, sending this woman on her way in peace. Peace, shalom, wellness of the whole person, body and soul. It doesn't mean that you won't face trouble. It doesn't mean that there's no affliction in your life. We see this in the Old Testament when King David is asking about how the war is going. And the question that he literally asks is not how goes the war, but how goes the peace of the war, the shalom of the war. It shows that there can be a sense of well-being even in the midst of conflict, even in the midst of turmoil. And that's to be found in one place only. Because this peace through forgiveness 
is what the Lord Jesus Christ came for. Zechariah, John's father, at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, says he prophesied that John was to go ahead of Jesus Christ to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace, into the way of shalom, into the way of restoration with God. Peace is announced by the angels as well in Christ. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Luke 2 verse 14. And now Jesus as the vessel of peace, as the one who embodies peace, as the one who is peace, the prince of peace. He now says to this woman, go in peace. It's a normal farewell, but it's so much deeper for this woman. Not for 12 years has she been able to go in peace. In 12 years, she's had to remain distant from those she loves. In 12 years, her touching made other people unclean. For 12 years, if she wanted to go, she would have to, to go and have contact with other people. Without this kind of response, she would have to blend in anonymously into a crowd like the time where she was with Jesus. And she reached out and touched him. For 12 years, she carried the weight of this shame with her. And now, the first person who says to her, Go in peace and makes it possible is Jesus Christ. Now in the midst of all of this, what about Jairus? It's slowed things down? Yes, it has. His frantic worry is still there. But this moment before the sight of Jairus has prepared the way for Jesus, in the sight of Jairus, has prepared the way for Jesus' words. Do not fear, only believe, and your daughter will be well. Jesus is speaking about what he will do in short order, a restoration from death to life. And so from the beginning to the end, we find in here with the story of Jairus and the story of the woman who is in the midst of this, a story of restoration. One, a woman to the people of God. A woman who was cut off from those who were nearest and dearest to her. A woman who was cut off from worship in the temple. Restored again. And one, a child from death to life. Loved ones, do you have a hidden sin that you see coming to light? Do you have something that you feel cuts you off? Do you see that shame? It's not a question of if, but when it will come to the fore. Think of this. You have a precious and compassionate Savior who is more than sufficient. And as you come to him in faith, he restores. He will restore. He restores you again in your relationship with God, with your heavenly Father, and even with others. Perhaps that ship has sailed for you. You may feel like that ship has sailed for you, that restoration with others. But he has shown that his power goes even beyond this life. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But there will come a day when all things are made new. And we have a Savior who restores. Who brings healing. Who restores. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But in eternity. And he sends us on our way in peace. Amen. In response to the proclamation of the word, let's now sing together from Psalm 103, the verses 1 to 2. Bless the Lord who pardons our transgressions.
Peter and Carolyn Sebum, who were, by God's grace, able to celebrate their 30th wedding anniversary this past week. Let's come to our God in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And that you have sent him in order to reveal to us our uncleanness. Because if we did not know our sin, if we did not take the time to reflect on the darkness that is within us, how would we know the need of a Savior? From beginning to end, His presence is a gift of grace. Just as He came to this woman, just as he saw her, he knew of her in the midst of the crowds, just as he let his power go out to heal. Just as he let the knowledge of his name and his power go out to her in the first place, so too you have let the knowledge of Christ's power, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, go out to every tongue and tribe and language and nation. And you have let the knowledge of the power of Christ to heal and to restore go out to the ends of the earth. And you have swept us up in the midst of this in your love and in your compassion towards us. Not out of anything we've done. Not out of anything we could bring. But out of your grace alone. Father, we thank you that we can share a small part in your grand sweep of redemptive history. That we are woven up in this tapestry as part of your plan as it progresses towards the end of history. Through the grace that is so undeserved and yet so freely given. We pray that you would be with us as we go our separate ways as well, Father. 
especially with the things that are coming up in the upcoming months and years surrounding the call, the calling process, surrounding the discussions of the future of the church, surrounding everything in, that's going on in our individual lives, changes, uncertainties. We pray that you would let us always be full of grace. Let our speech be seasoned with salt, reflecting the compassion and mercy of a Savior, and seeking first your kingdom, Christ's kingdom, and Christ's righteousness. We thank you to the, for, for the mercy and the love that you have shown to us, each individually, that you've shown to us in our families, that you've shown to us in our marriages. And Father, we thank you that Peter and Carolyn Sebum were able to celebrate their 30th wedding anniversary. Bless this brother and sister. Let them continue in love. And let them continue to hold Jesus Christ first in their marriage and in their lives. And let your name be glorified. Father, we also pray that you would be with us as a church and let your name be glorified as we stand here as a witness of your mercy and grace. We also pray, Father, for your blessing on the offerings that we'll bring for the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary. We pray that you'd be with the professors, that you'd be with the adjunct lecturers, that you'd be with the students, grant the professors wisdom as they teach, grant the students a thirst for knowledge, a love for your word, and an ever-growing understanding of what you do and what you have said through your word. Equip them to be faithful ministers and faithful servants in your kingdom. Father, we pray all of this, not because we deserve it, but in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. We now have the opportunity to bring our thank offerings before the Lord, and they are for the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary. And then after the offerings will stand, will rise and sing together, Psalm 116, the verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, singing about how God in His mercy has been so good to us.
up your hearts to the Lord, receive his blessing, and go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.